little nerds and nerdettes. Junior ambassadors, boys and girls of all ages. We're nerds and uh, we're pretty proud of it. You're entering the Nerd United Nations podcast. Never apologize for being nerdy. All things geek are up for grabs. Because unnerdy people never apologize for being assholes. Now, here's your ambassadors, Melissa Nicholson and Jared Boots. Hello, junior ambassadors, nerds, nerdettes of all ages, and welcome to the start of the third year of the Nerd on Nations podcast. One drunk text started all of this. I'm your Midwest ambassador, Jared Boots, and you read the title right. Today we are talking about Lady Killer. We are doing a news episode. What? Only took us three years. I, of course, cannot do this alone. I need my my favorite Marvel turn DC fan, my partner in crime for the last three years, the ambassador of the great one north of Canada, Miss Melissa Nicholson. Melissa, anniversary. <laughs> Happy anniversary. Three years. Wow. Uh, that implodes my mind to to no end. But... Um, Agreeing to the podcast to doing this was probably the best decision in life I ever made. So, <laughs> yeah, it's been three years. Time really flies when you're bullshitting your way through the internet trying to pretend to know what you're talking about, don't it? Yep, absolutely. But you know what? It's still, you know, it, it hasn't it hasn't gotten boring. It hasn't grown old. It's still very much fresh and new and keeps getting more fun each episode, so I, I think we got a good thing going. It sure does. I think I'll kind of go keep it going for a while, mm. or at least for another year because we paid for it, so. <laughs> 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 yeah, that, that would make sense. <laughs> but I think it's time to kick off a month-long celebration. That's right. We're going to be one of those women like, oh, it's my birthday month. We're going to celebrate three years of Nerd Eye Nations. Well, at least twice this month <laughs> um, with this with this first episode. And it we're talking about whenever we're going to. Uh, yeah. Not only is it we're talking about comics, which only happens once in a blue moon, but we're also doing news. <laughs> so it's kind of a first and uh, it's kind of a first for us in that aspect. And at the same time, it's like we don't talk comics a, a whole lot we we don't we've done i hate fairyland we did uh batman noel with our friend philip barker um i can't think of anything else top of my head if we've done like that specifically comic related oh, uh like, just strictly books yeah like we've mentioned various comics and referred to them but yeah never like we we don't often do focused episodes so this is yeah, this is a, a unique episode, and it's going to be fun. Uh, I, I can't wait. So uh, well, let's actually start off with the new aspect, and that is that it is going to be coming to Netflix. 
Um, I didn't know the exact article I read when it first broke, but I took all my information off of uh, comicbook.com and the article they wrote up on it so I can give credit where credit's due to our sources here. But uh, it was announced by Netflix on Wednesday, May 5th, that Lady Killer is coming to Netflix, uh, starring and being produced by Mrs. Ryan Reynolds herself, Blake Lively, and being written by Diablo Cody, who uh, wrote Juno and Jennifer's Body. That's what I mostly know her for. And I hope to God this is better than Jennifer's Body, because I do not like that movie at all. Yeah, I have I have and, a movie, uh, but yeah, uh, and it's also being produced by Mike Richardson and Keith Goldberg of Dark Horse Entertainment. And one I do not know, I'm not aware of Kate Vorha or B for Effort. That I have no idea, but I love that Dark Horse is playing hands. Now I almost assume that. Uh, Joelle Jones, who's the brainchild behind this, might have something to do with it too. I know she's been plugging on her social media as this news was coming. Mm-hmm. But um, this will also, so Lady Killer will be joining a bunch of other Dark Horse properties on Netflix, which would include The Umbrella Academy, Polar, and Mystery Girl. Like, I haven't started The Umbrella Academy yet. But it's been on my watch list for some time. I know it's written by uh, My Chemical Romance star uh, Gerard Way, but I haven't starred it yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, Polar, I might have seen a trade paperback of on the shelf at either my comic shop or bookstore, but Mystery Girl, nothing. I got, I got nothing on that one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Melissa, what are you? What's your? What your? What's your, your thoughts on on this news here? Of us getting a live action movie of Lady Killer. Um, I'm really excited about it. Um, I saw the posting about it. I think Joe. I think it was through Joelle's Instagram because I think she had posted the article like as a picture, and I was like, oh, color me intrigued, and so I went and looked and found the article and um read over it and I'm I'm really excited about that like I never thought that this would you know become something you know other than just it being a a really amazing graphic novel and the fact that it's going to become a live action film is pretty cool um I think you know if they you know they they really stick loyal to you know the story and everything and the the look of it um i think it'll be a you know a really great film um i'm i'm super excited for it um because it it would be really cool to you know see on the you know maybe potentially on a big screen that would be really cool um well actually it'd be probably just on netflix so but (laughs) see see it on on tv would be pretty damn cool see josie being just her badass self so um that would be that would be really cool. Um, yeah, I'm I'm excited for it. I um, I don't really know much like a um, like Blake Lively, but I have seen her in things and I did enjoy her. So we'll see what she she brings to that character. And um, yeah, I'm I'm really excited and can't wait to see it. 
Yeah, I, I share your enthusiasm. I'm very excited for this. And um, especially since it's been so long since we've gotten anything from Joel Jones on Lady Killer because the series was discontinued in, what, 2017 after Volume 2? Okay. And it left, left us on such a cliffhanger, but we'll talk about more about that later. Um, but, um, yeah, I know Blake Lively, actually, from... Uh, I saw a movie she was in called Accepted back in 2005. Her and Justin Long, she was one of the main leads in that. And I, I'd known the name Blake Lively just because she was related to, or married to Ryan Reynolds. But other than that, it's like I saw her photo. I go, oh, her? That woman? And she was also in uh, Green Lantern with Ryan Reynolds back in 2011. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I'm so kind of an interesting choice for for her to take on this role and to pick up this uh, pick up this take this kind of lead. That's not real something I didn't expect to be picked up by Netflix or anything. It'd be cool, uh, and I, I'm definitely I'm day one going to see it. It'd, it'd be cool to see on the big screen, but unfortunately, I think the only Dark Horse character we're ever going to get on the big screen is Hellboy. Which I'm okay with that, but I would love to see Lady Killer if it had. I think if it had a bigger following, I think it'd definitely be a big screen release. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I don't think this one. I mean, it 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 has its following, but it's not. Yeah, like you said, it's not a very big following. And I think yeah, if it if it did have you know the that bigger fan base, yeah, it would be you know um, something on the big screen, which would be amazing. But it's. You know, I'll, I'll take it being on Netflix because, you know, the, the fact that it's becoming, you know, a live action thing is pretty cool. So yeah. I'll, I'll take that. Absolutely. And when in the minute it comes out and I'm watching it. <laughs> um, well, but, yeah. Well, uh, Netflix having a lot of success with the Umbrella Academy alone. You probably think they're probably going to start snatching up all these small titles while they can. Hmm profit off them the best they can and make some money. Well, Umbrella Academy was a hit. Let's see about this lady killer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and you know what? Like, you know, having this as as a, you know, a Netflix film, like, it'll only, you know, maybe, like, even help grow that fan base even more. And, you know, people will know about, a few more people will know about it, which is kind of cool. Because I think it, it honestly deserves that. It's, a really fun, great story and with some really great characters. And I think it, it deserves that thousand percent. Yeah. But uh, let me ask you a question. Do you think Lady Killer would work better as a movie or would it work better as like a miniseries? I mean, I, I can see it working as a film. Um, if they can you know, smoothly combine, like, if they, if they want to combine, like, the, the first volume and second volume, which I'm, I'm sure they're going to do, um, but I could also see it being a miniseries, because I think it could, it could, there's enough, you know, you've got two volumes, and they're, I mean, they're, they are quick reads, but I feel like there's enough in them that you could make it into a miniseries. Like, you can expand it. And you can even, you know, maybe add 
few other things to the story or whatever, but I think it could it could work as as both. Um, I mean, I'm I'm excited to be as a film, but I think it would be I I'd kind of like to see it as a miniseries because I think you could really, you know, you'd you'd get to know the characters a lot more, you'd get to know you know her environment and everything, and and I think you know expand like I kind of said like expand that more and um you know maybe even dive into the 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 content a little more too um but yeah yeah that's about the same way I kind of flip-flopped in the whole thought of it myself um yeah. if I you would think that most comics would make a better show or a series than a film just because there's so much to tell mm-hmm. but like you said this is they are quick reads, and I think the story is pretty compact. It's it, there's some stuff you could weed out to make it a film, I guess. You could get all the basic points of what we have. The only thing is that the comics leave us on a huge cliffhanger, mm-hmm. you know. But uh, I think there's I think there is enough that they could make like a good two two and a half hour long film out of it of the two volumes. Yeah, yeah, I think so too, and I think. And that's kind of, you know, like ending on a cliffhanger. I think that's sort of where the miniseries could come in and have that advantage of, like, you know, the story you're building up and maybe you could even, you know, expand on the cliffhanger a little bit maybe. You know, like, I don't know. (laughs) But you could could do a little bit more with it that way. But but I I think it's going to work as a, as a, film as long as they do it in a f- sort of fluid way because i find sometimes when um you know you're 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 taking something you know like a, whether it be a graphic novel or whether it be a book things get really mushed together and sometimes it doesn't work or things get pieced together in a different way or it just it doesn't blend nicely together and it just kind of seems a bit choppy and sudden where it's just like, oh, this happened, and this happened, and this happened, and it's like, okay, what? Um, and, and like, I've seen a few films that have done that, and it's like, you could have done it a lot better. But um, yeah, I really hope they they do, you know, um, really good things with this one. Well, taking taking the fact that. Netflix has been around for a while and they've kind of a juggernaut in the whole streaming service business. So I think it's in good hands. They've produced great content. Like, look what we just got with the Zack Snyder and Army of the Dead. Mm-hmm. Another Netflix movie. So that turned out great. Yeah. So I, they, well, they, they basically gave, like, you know, Zack Snyder came to them with a, and I, he, I, I saw like a behind the scenes thing. And he said he basically went to Netflix with this crazy idea, as he said. And they were like, yeah, let's do it. And let him do it. So um, I think they're going to be pretty open to, well, they're obviously pretty open to this story and the, and the people telling it. So, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it um, and see what they do. And I'm, 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 I'm very intrigued to see this style put on film, too. Yeah. Style the style of the book, Joel's art. Mhm. Same here. I'm I'm excited to see the what it's going to look like because the the art is so it's 
it's got that that 50s 60s style and it's like it's very bold and especially you know with all the the blood and gore and you know i'm i'm you know being the the slasher movie fan that i am i'm super excited to see those see the kills (laughs) i can't wait to see them (laughs) but that's just me (laughs) is for those who need a picture painted think mad men meets american psycho yes that could not be a better description yes (laughs) <laughs> those two things it's, coming together and making this like it's it's gonna know. it's gonna have the look and feel of mad men and have the bloody kills bloody violence of american psycho yeah yeah <laughs> if that if that doesn't intrigue you i don't know what well <laughs> that's worth the uh, that's worth the price of admission alone, actually. <laughs> um, hell yeah. <laughs> Shut up. Take my money. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I mean, if we, I'm sure we'll, we'll try our best to keep more, more news posted once we find out about more of this coming. I don't think they even set a date when it's expected to be out, so I'm going to guess probably 2022 or 2023, maybe. Probably, yeah. 2022 at the earliest. Mm-hmm. Even like late 2022, like nothing, nothing earlier than than like you know, like March or something like that. You know, like maybe later in the year or yeah, but soon enough. <laughs> oh, I'm sure the next step is the director. So, mm-hmm. so uh, yeah, so coming to Netflix soon. So. We can't wait. I'll be there with my popcorn ready to go. <laughs> Me too. So let's move on and talk about the comics a little bit. So uh, Lady Killer was written by Joelle Jones and Jamie S. Rich with art by Joelle Jones, uh, colors by Laura Allred, and letters by Crank! Exclamation point. And uh, this was a very uh, limited run. It only had two volumes. I think it only ran from, what, 2015 to 2017, I believe, before getting canceled. And uh, it follows the story of Josie Schuler, who is a very typical 50s, 60s era housewife who lives in the suburbs but leads a double life where she's essentially... An assassin for hire. <laughs> yep. So that's about it. The first volume, mostly your introduction to Josie and what she does and the organization she works for. And when she's unable to flat out say it, she's not, she's unable to, she's sent to kill a child and she can't do it. So then now it's her agency after her. Hmm. So this is where the first volume goes. So, what were your initials when I? I think I introduced Lady Killer to you, didn't I? Yep, you did. So, uh, what was your initial reactions when you first read it? Um, 
Well, when you you told me about it and that you you were like, I think you'd really like this this series, and you told me about it, and even just like from the description of it, I was drawn in. Like I I love the concept of it. Um, you know, I love that that you know Josie could be a you know the the perfect have this image as the the perfect housewife in the, sort of that that fifties sixties and have this other life as an assassin and I loved it and when I read it I just I, I loved every minute of of reading it I loved the character um, you know I I just I loved how you know you know I and I, what I really loved too was just like you know, I, I love the art, the imagery, but then, like, the, you know, the gory kills. <laughs> just how, you know, she just goes, she does her job. Like, she's, that's just what she's doing. And and um, then she, you know, goes back to her, her other life. And, um, yeah, I, I loved it. I really, really loved it. And, you know, it was, it's such a unique concept a unique story and you know it was kind of it was really refreshing to read something genuinely unique and uh yeah i i loved it i really really enjoyed it i mean it's got everything a comic book fan would want doesn't it it's got great oh it's amazing art because i i think i've knew, mentioned it before that joelle jones is probably my favorite active comic book artist right now uh, her work is just amazing and um yeah. i think i saw this on the shelf probably at a books a million or barnes and noble and said hey this hmm. look at the for the cover of it and it's a housewife covered in blood <laughs> like hey I, i'll take a look at this and <laughs> flip through the pages and it just drew me in like you mentioned the bloody violence in it within the first few pages mm-hmm. she is sneaking into it she is disguising herself as an avon uh, salesperson <laughs> taking a woman out, <laughs> beating her to death with a hammer. <laughs> so, yeah, and a knife. Yeah, and then a, a steak knife to the throat. <laughs> and I, I love how that segment ends with her just saying "darn it" because she's got blood on her Avon dress, and then. Cuts to her at home being a happy housewife. It's it's so damn insane. It it, it reminds me a little bit of um, I Hate Fairyland, and just a little bit. Yes. And the way it reminds me of I Hate Fairyland is because you got the beautiful, bright, cartoony. It's all bright and colorful, and it's just violent at the same time. <laughs> and, yeah. And it kind of catches you off guard. Like when you read the first few pages of I Hate Fairyland, spoilers for Victoria, who's probably listened to this before she's read it. We're <laughs> like a few pages into I Hate Fairyland, the moon's getting his brains blown out by uh, Gertrude. Yeah. Just like his lady killer, you got this. Um, and I think it's been said Joel Jones was very inspired by like, those 50s and 60s uh ads and stuff because that's what i think that's what she did when she pitched it was drew a lot of those the fake ads that we see throughout the volumes and she was inspired by that so to see that kind of classic uh, more vent i'll say vintage that more that vintage look the more pinup and vintage look and have that bloody violence applied to it it's so damn good 
like when I read American Vampire, yeah, I'm going to expect that that kind of blood violence because it's a vampire book at yeah. the end of the day. Or if I read something off a of DC Black label or what used to be um, DC's Vertigo label, I'm going to expect that. But to see something like this, where it's not as bright and colorful as uh, I Hate Fairyland is, but it's the colors are still it's still colorful. It's a little more muted. Yeah. So that's why I say it's also got that 60s feel to it. Like you're watching an old 60s show in color. Like it's still colorful, but it's just a little more muted. It's not, it doesn't yeah. pop out and it's not as bright. Yeah. And to see the blood violence fixing with that art style is just fucking awesome. Yeah. And the, that was sort of the, like the, the sort of color palette at the time was sort of that muted colors like the pastels and you know the the pastels and the browns and just you know yellows and things like that like it's very just sort of neutral colors um but yeah and that was something that you know like you see the cover and it's like oh boy (laughs) like i think when i when i finally i picked this up and i was like Oh shit! <laughs> Shit's going down. But I, you know, I didn't expect it to be within like the first five pages, and how savage it was going to be. Like, whoa! <laughs> and I think my my favorite like moment is yeah when she's like, "Darn it!" Like of all the things to to think about and say. At the end of what she did, like <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of funny in a way. Like, oh darn, she got blood stain on her outfit now. So she's got to wash that out, you know. <laughs> but yeah, I I love that, you know. And I and I I kind of really like that 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 '50s '60s style. Like, it's just such a a unique look, and. You know, especially like the, you know, the clothing style of the day is really, you know, I really like. Um, it's really, really nice. And like some of the, the colors can be bold and things like that and the patterns and things. And But um, yeah, I think in this one, like she really captures that whole like decade, like th- those years very well. Um, yeah, it's it's freaking amazing I agree wholeheartedly um, I've, I've said numerous times I think probably was on Phillips show when I was, I was on there how I'm a fan of the pinup era so I love like the DC bombshells run yeah. of comics where it's like all the DC ladies back in the 40s like World War II era and how they're done up mm-hmm. And uh, I, I'm just a sucker for that vintage look. So I love, like, I have friends that are pinup that do like the pinup and the poster stuff, and the, they go to all the car shows and stuff. And they do like their pinup photo shoots. I'm a sucker for that stuff. Yeah. And I, I rule, I rule that from like the '40s all the way up to like about the '60s, where it just looks so damn good. Yeah. And when you see Joe, when you see Josie as the Avon lady, or you see her in those at the kitty, uh, the kitty cat club, I believe it is. Yeah. And. uh all this other stuff, it just looks so damn good. And mm-hmm. that's why it makes me think of like Mad Men. It looks like something out of Mad Men. Very much. 
Yeah, and like me, me too. I really, I really, really like that that pinup style. Like it's just, it is just so. I, I love how like put together it can be, and it's like it's got that mixture of like it's got that bit of class, but then it's also kind of sexy. It's just a really good molding of two things, and I, I really love it too. It's so good, and you know I'm. You know, I kind of, I'm, I'm jealous of those who can, like, rock that style. Because I, I don't think I could do it. <laughs> but it's so cool. I, I really love it, too. And and I, I love seeing it in the in the book, too. Just, she, you know, she really nailed it on that whole thing. Absolutely. And I'm just reading the, towards the back of the first volume here in her sketchbook area where it says that uh, some of her preliminary sketches were like those old 50s ads where it was just trying to get uh, get nailed down Josie's character. And uh, yeah, so you definitely see that that influence on those the influence from those old 50s uh, ads. And I love how. Works in like one of her old sketches here is like a, an advertisement for a freezer and it's got a guy inside of it. <laughs> like now with enough space to put all your leftovers on ice. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I really love the uh, um the you know, he will never complain that his dinner is late again. <laughs> arsenic. <laughs> so is there any particular Anything specific you want to talk about volume one? Um, you know, I I really like that, you know, sort of later in the in the story, like they, you know, the, the organization, like Mr. Stenholm, he who's sort of oversees everything, how, like, he, he kind of, I think, is a little bit of intimidated by Josie, you know, and that, that there's something, you know, that she's, she's not somebody to be, you know, she's kind of a force to be reckoned with, but she does her job, you know, so well. And he's sort of like, you know, like she, she's almost a, you know, a liability, you know, for the organization. Cause he thinks that, you know, so it's just, it's, it's kind of funny that way. And yet they, you know, they, they look at her that way. Like, they don't look at her as, you know, some sort of, like, naive person. You know, like, just some the innocent 50s housewife. Like, she's she's somebody you don't want to mess with. And, that, and I kind of like that sort of that viewpoint that they, the perspective, I guess, that they give her is that, you know, she she's she can be this person, you know, the housewife with the kids and the husband and everything, but you know, um, yeah, I really like that. But then they still sort of have that, you know, fifties mentality of you know, you know, female can't do this or whatever, you know, like it's that's still kind of there too. Yeah, she really. Jo- Josie really shows she's not 
somebody to mess with. And like you say, she's intimidated. Uh, when you talk about her in the kitty cat club, she takes out this huge dude with her bare hands, essentially. Mm-hmm. And then you even fast forward when she's like we mentioned, I think we mentioned it briefly while we're talking about the the movie is that, or I probably mentioned it when she was when we first brought this up. She essentially is sent to kill a child. Mm-hmm. So I'm willing to bet this is something they. I'm willing to bet they probably don't cover this in the movie. I was thinking about that too when I reread it, and yeah, I don't think that's going to be something that they are going to include. Cause, well, I I yeah. bet. I bet they'll probably bring it up, but I bet they don't actually show her pursuing the child because they do show her like chasing the kid upstairs with a knife. Mm-hmm. And then she just has this change of heart all of a sudden. And um, so I don't know if they're probably going to show it in the same context this book does, but that's when the book takes a turn is when she, uh, Decides she can't do it, and all of a sudden now it's uh, agencies decide to well, uh, what's the word? Oh, burn her. So since you put out a burn notice for her, mm-hmm. and like you said, the boss is intimidated by her. Um, yeah, Mr. Stenholm, um, because of how talented she is, how big of a threat she is. So if she decided to go rogue, decided she's done how big of a threat she could be. So that's also why they decided like, Oh, we got to burn her now because yeah, she's content now, but what if she said she's not content then we're all in a lot of trouble here. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and she just goes to show like even so when Peck and Stenholm go after her, she holds her damn own. Um, she also does recruit the help of another assassin of Ruby. And then, an older gentleman. Oh, well, Ruby brings in Irving Reinhardt to help them with things. And, uh, yeah, essentially, it's essentially uh, Josie's two-week notice from this organization that we end with. Bye-bye, mm-hmm. Peck, and bye-bye, Mr. Stenholm. <laughs> or, or is Peck gone? I don't know. (laughs) 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 (sighs) So, I think when I was really reading through all this, I I seem to remember most of this, of the first volume, pretty well. Mm -hmm. But I think it was the second volume I didn't remember as well, I think, when I was rereading it. Same here. When I when I was reading rereading like the first one, I was like, oh yeah, I, it, everything that I remembered from it just came back, and it was very familiar. Um, there, it wasn't anything new to me. It was like yeah, I just and what what came to me was like it just it reminded me how much I loved it because it, it had actually been a while since I had given it a, another read, and it just it reminded me how much I loved it the first time. Like it's just. You know, and, and like I've read it multiple times, but it just this time it seemed to be a little bit longer since then. And but it just reminded me how much I loved it because it's just it's such a, you know, such a fun read. And yeah, and then it was that the second one. Yeah, I wasn't I, I remembered some of it. It was familiar, but not all of it. So I was like, OK, it was sort of like rediscovering and remembering what happens in this one. And 
you know. So yeah, I was sort of on the same <laughs> same page as you. <laughs> I'm I'm sitting here flipping through the book right now while you're talking, and I love some of the ways that Josie covers her tracks with her family because her family is unbe- it's all of her secret life as an assassin's unbeknownst to her family until her mother-in-law Frau Schuler figures it out. One of my favorite things, like, yeah, she was like, Oh, sorry. I was at bridge club or I was volunteering at the hospital. I was doing the bake sale, whatever. But I think one of my favorite cover ups has to be is when she takes Peck's car and then calls the local, like the, the neighborhood snoop. Yeah. <laughs> and tells her about the car being parked there. Oh, <laughs> Probably, I think what caught me off guard when I was rereading it is she, she the, who was it? Um, Edith, Edith Sampson, her neighbor. And when she calls Peck a, a pederast or something, I'm like, they really talk like that. But they really use terms like pederast back then because when I reviewed farther, I love how she's rambling on and on. Like, oh, I saw some kids smoking reefer the other day. <laughs> like, I love that old timey jargon. That's, hilarious but like i love how you think back oh we brought it up american psycho how patrick bateman covers up his stuff i love how josie's able to cover up her secret life as an assassin and like planting the car by the playground and then calling the neighborhood snoop (laughs) it's like hey keep an eye on this car if you see this car in the neighborhood again yeah let me let me know and oh, the cars! <laughs> the car was taken. <laughs> yeah, if you see this car in the neighborhood, let me know. And yeah, I love that. That's that's just brilliant. Yeah. And I love the callbacks to a lot of stuff in the sixties. So, like, especially the volume one wraps up with um, the Seattle World's Fair. And with President Kennedy giving a speech, so I I do love how that all wraps up nicely and how it, it is. It's very inspired by fifties housewife and the fifties mindset, but it's very much the sixties uh, time capsule as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, so well done. It, it's very much as Mad Men meets uh, American Psycho. Yeah, absolutely. It's just, it's so, yeah, it's so well done, and it just, it just blows me away, and, like, I'm going to keep saying this, like, it just, it blows me away how well, like, she, she captured, captures that whole, like, 50s, you know, 60s era, like, it's just captured so well, and, you know, you, you have the, the mindset of people in that time period, and then you've, you know, um, the look of it, and, you know, it's just, uh, it's just so freaking good. Um, she she honestly, you know, could, could not have done that, that any better. Um, yeah. You, you almost, you almost get, like, you know, a, a peek into into that era, you know, having not been in that era or lived through it, right? It's just you kind of get a peek into it with, like, you know, the the cars and the clothing styles and just, yeah, everything. It's just, yeah, so well done. 
Yeah, and I realize we're jumping around a lot. We're kind of giving the broad strokes of the story because I don't really want to spoil it for anybody. Because this is a book somebody, this is a story somebody has to read. Mm-hmm. Definitely so think, read it. So I think we can move on to volume two while we're on the subject. So volume volume two picks up right where it left off. Um, this time it's like 1963-ish. Yeah. So I think... I think I texted you the other day off air because we're doing some research. Um, I think I told you that the World's Fair in Seattle was 1962. I think so, yeah. That sounds about right. So uh, we have Volume 2 picks up in 1963, and the family has moved from the West Coast on to Florida. And just like the first one, it's got Josie undercover. This time as a Tupperware saleswoman. And taking out two more uh, two more hits. But this time in Volume 2, Josie is freelancing, essentially. She's starting her own business, as she calls it. Because mm-hmm. um, she's no longer part of the organization, so she's on her own. So she's taking small, smaller claims. Like, uh, starts off with uh, her taking out two women for their nephew so so he can get their money and I was talking to myself the other day how shocking it was to see this woman on the toilet yeah I've read this before but holy shit I forgot about this (laughs) (laughs) yeah and just just how Josie just barges into the bathroom too (laughs) yeah like she just she, she really doesn't you know like make any make any issue of it like or has a problem with it she just barrels in and and <laughs> does what she does and it just i don't know it it really first time i saw it or read it it just you know seeing the picture and everything it just made me laugh it really made me laugh and it's still rereading it you know just recently it, it did the same thing because it just Oh boy, <laughs> what a way to go! <laughs> of all the ways to go, oh man! <laughs> caught with your pants, caught with your pants down on the toilet. <laughs> yep, I see what you did there. And I love. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, it's more of a Josie being a housewife, working her housewife uh, magic into this this kill too. I love how she <laughs> having a hell of a time trying to get rid of like she when she worked for the company she didn't have to do cleanup, but now she does. <laughs> and trying to her all dolled up, trying to hack out, hack these bodies apart of the bathtub and trying to get rid of it, and then saw the hacksaw breaks, so she has to get the turkey carver and then. <laughs> And then, the, and then the the bag breaks. Tupperware. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then she's like, oh, she uses her Tupperware. I think, honestly, I mean, I love, I love all the the kills in this one. Like they're just so savage. But honestly, this one is my absolute favorite. <laughs> how she struggles and everything. And the stuff she uses, and then it was like how they just ends up, they all end up in Tupperware. It just, yeah, which, I love it. 
<laughs> which, which only bring which only brings one question to mind. Either how big was that Tupperware, or how small pieces was she cutting the bodies up into? I mean, I mean, she had the turkey cutter, so she could have done some like slices or something. <laughs> Slice it up nice and thin. <laughs> Oh, it's so damn good. And back to and see it's Josie out on her own, and then we get a returning guest with uh, Irving Reinhardt wanting to help her take care of cleanup because I believe she's taken out a car salesman, and Irving just shows up mm-hmm. in, the, in the middle of nowhere too. Uh, yeah. So unless he was tracking her, I don't know how the hell he knew. She was all the way out there in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah, never really seen your epic. That, that's this is also one thing too. You never it was Josie being on her own now. Is you never see any repercussions for these actions, uh, for these people going missing. Mm-hmm. So it's these were just her just missing and dead. So like a lot of like with the two ants at the beginning. It's an insurance grab, so the nephew can get the insurance money, or and you have to assume the same with the car salesman. Mm-hmm. It'd be like a wife or somebody trying to collect insurance, life insurance off of them. We never hear any, oh, so and so's gone missing until um, Irving kidnaps uh, Gene's new boss and kills him. Mm-hmm. This is like one of the first times we hear somebody actually being missing. It's being investigated. Yeah. And uh, all we didn't we didn't touch on it in volume one is that uh, we did talk that Jean's mother, Frau Schuler, does catch Josie in the act at the World's Fair of uh, I think she, when she's fighting Peck and Stenholm, but it's um, she recognizes Irving when she sees him, and we find out. Why she recognizes Irving in volume two. And I go, and I joked at the beginning of this book, we're talking about, oh, this book's got everything you want. And it, it's even got Nazis in it. <laughs> yeah. But somehow I don't, I don't think I forgot that aspect of volume two. <laughs> yeah. That somehow Nazis were involved, but I think I did for, kind of forget that actually. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was more like, you know, the, the sort of history, you know, explaining how, you know, the mother knows Irving, right? So, um, yeah. I mean, it, yeah. But it, it makes sense to explain that because it's like, okay, she immediately recognizes him and is like, get, get that, basically get the hell out. And it's like, okay, well, what? <laughs> and then, you know, finally explaining this is... You know, this is why she reacted the way she did. Yeah, and I had lost my train of thought completely about Fra, Mrs. Schuler, but um, eventually it all does come around um, when it's told by Fra Schuler that she cannot trust Irving. And it also, while they're down in Florida, we are introduced to Mr. Hall. I'm going to. Hi, budget, Mr. Holly. Yeah. I can't remember. Does he quite say what he does, or is he just a recruiter? I think he's or, more 
recruiter. I don't really think he, he doesn't really do anything else. I don't know. He, I know he is a, uh, it's not a specific organization, but essentially it unionizes contract killers is what it is. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I, you know, like what, what I find really interesting is, you know, um, with, with Josie, like, especially when they go, like there, there's that moment where they go to the, um, the annual Christmas bash thing and that beach. And, I, I love that, you know, she, like, Josie, she's concerned, like, oh, this is, you know, like, her bathing suit, like, it's too old-fashioned. Is it is it too old-fashioned? No, it's fine. And then, you know, another person makes a comment, like, oh, you don't seem too many ladies wearing that old style anymore. And it's just, it's sort of funny to me how, you know, they sort of look at her like she's behind the times in style and, you know... But yet, she herself, as a person, is kind of ahead of the game. Like, she's really, you know, ahead in a, in a lot of ways as as a woman in that time period. You know, she she's, you know, of, of what she does and how, you know, strong and, like, independent she is. And, you know, like, just she's a, she, she can play that, that housewife, you know, but she's not, she doesn't fully have that sort of mentality, that personality. Like, she's she's way ahead of everybody. Um, so I thought that was kind of funny, that sort of contrast, that this is kind of how they see her, and yet that's, you know, kind of really not who she is. When we talk about her on the beach and everything, she's got the very old-fashioned look. And it reminds me of Dropkick Murphy's song, uh, Tomorrow's Industry, I believe it's called. So she's got yesterday values living in tomorrow's industry. So she's very forward thinking. She's very strong and independent, but she's still got that very classic and old fashioned mindset about her. So she, oh, yeah, she asked, do you think my suit is too old fashioned? And oh, you look lovely. And oh, everybody loves the retro look, which I didn't know retro had a look in the 60s still. I didn't know retro was a thing back then. Yeah, really. So, Mr. <laughs> I'm going to butcher this name too, Mr. Robidoux. Uh, the boss has a very uh, maybe he's like one of the first hipsters. Then I love your look; it's so retro, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you don't see too many ladies wearing the old style anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I yeah. do love the I do love the old the not the classic Coke and the classic Santa look with him. Uh, given the nose on the finger and all that stuff. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Now we start. To see, so it's between this and and Mr. Holly also. And oh, I found it. Essentially, it's uh, a unionized group of contract killers, and essentially they approach Josie to offer her bigger boss, uh, bigger contracts. Essentially, because uh, what she's doing now is small potatoes and. Uh, we kind of glossed over is that Irving is looking to get into business with Josie to be her cleanup man. They split the profits with 80, 20, I believe is what he decided to agree on. Yeah. And, um, and you get these rules mentioned throughout 
this volume that there's seven rules for starting your own business and they harp a lot on rule seven trust your instincts i believe by the end of the volume by the end of the book it's like rule one trust your instincts and it's they light it heavily on uh, Irving because Irving just shows up out of nowhere. Then you have Frau Schuler. Um, I got a bad. You got to stay away from him. And then later, when Josie decides she wants to work with Mister Holly and his organization, like, well, you work with this guy, and we got to kind of we can't have you close arms if you're going to be with this guy. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you you really, yeah, he he. Yeah, Irving just kind of, yeah, he shows up and you you really don't learn a lot about him other than you kind of get the sense that, okay, he's, you know, from everybody else that he's definitely not someone, you know, you can fully trust, but he'll still, like, I find, like, he, he'll still get the job done. Like, he still will help, you know, like, he cleaned up stuff and things. So, yeah, he's he's got that sort of... Um, oh, what's what I'm looking for? Sort of the uh, reputation about him that he's not the best person. So, yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting that they, yeah, okay, nope, we're not going to associate with you because you're associating with him. And it's like, uh oh. <laughs> yeah, so not to spoil it, but we do get uh, Frau Schuler does finally tell Josie how she knows Irving, and this is when she tells him, like, you need to get away from this guy. Mm. Yeah. So I don't want to spoil it for those who haven't read it, because it's kind of an interesting story. You find out that, well, if you didn't get the... If you couldn't tell by looking at him, Irving's not a good guy. (laughs) And you find out what kind of monster he really is. Mm. And, And it gets it to the point where he he... He intertwi- He works his way into Josie's personal life too. He shows up at the beach, um, introduces himself to Jean, uh, Josie's husband, and the daughters, uh, Jane and Jessica, their twin daughters. So he's trying to weed his way into life as Uncle Irving, showing up at Christmas and what have you, and getting to know, uh, getting to know Jean over a beer in the garage, and find out oh, Jean's not happy with this job to the point where. It seems like the monster part of him takes over and he misinterprets Jean's unhappiness and ends up killing Jean's boss, Mr. Robidoux. Mm-hmm. And it's essentially, I think, where Josie draws the line. We are done. Mm-hmm. Which, le- which uh, leads to a good old-fashioned brawl on Christmas Eve. At the Schuler household. <laughs> yeah. And boy, and boy, howdy, does it get violent in this last, the last few segments. Oh, yeah. It, it definitely does. Like, it's, it's, you know, pretty, you know, I mean, it, it still holds that sort of, you know, same same sort of tension intensity, but I feel like it's it definitely goes up to an eleven near the end. Like it's really things are happening and it just 
you're it's like buckle up you're in for a ride way right until the end <laughs> and even then it's gonna just slam on its brakes and end <laughs> it's uh well, yeah yeah the whole last book of the volume is just bang 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 it the, this part that kind of made me kind of excited to see this in live action. So this, this is what I'm, I'm excited for. Mm-hmm. So I almost wonder if we're going to get vo- because volume two ends ends on kind of a cliffhanger. I wonder if are they going to wait until volume three comes out before they pitch the books? We get an ending to this story. Is it going to is volume three going to be? Because I think Joelle has teased some stuff for. Lady Killer 3. She shared some artwork and stuff and put some teasers on her Instagram page. But um, are they either going to release Volume 3 first or are they going to release it along with the film? Yeah. I mean, maybe, but I could also see it being like, yeah, released and then you, and then like the film comes out so i don't i don't know i don't know how they're gonna do that but um i don't know we'll see i feel like they're they're i don't know i maybe maybe not but i feel like we may see a lot more content from the second volume than than the first one i don't know i feel like just because there's so much like especially that sort of the ending like how there's just so much going on and even like it's a little bit you know it definitely gets a little bit like darker of a story so i wonder like they're gonna have the the first volume you know to get to know the characters and everything like that to kind of set the tone but then i don't know get darker as you go along like i don't i don't know how they're gonna um structure that so it'll be kind of interesting to see how they do that and then yeah with like volume three it's yeah how how's that gonna work i don't know so i do want to see what happens with the end of this one and how this ends because it's not going to spoil the end but i think we did kind of foreshadow a little bit with uh peck (laughs) but uh (laughs) or did i <laughs> so what are some of your favorite segments from uh volume two um i really like um oh my goodness like i mean there's so many um you know i i really like that we kind of get to know um mrs schuler a little bit more like mother schuler um kind of know her her backstory as she also is telling why Irving is not a good person so you kind of get to know her a little bit and sort of you know get a sense of where she's coming from um you know like how why she she reacts the way she does and um you know things like that so you kind of get you get to know her a little bit more but I think like I kind of said before like my my favorite moment is the first is it the yeah the first kill <laughs> the bathroom kill is just that is my favorite moment and i just i love how you know she she's you know 
like, I'm on my own. I can do this. You know, it's going to take a lot of effort. Or she says, like, a lot of elbow grease. But, you know, she she's going to get through it. And you just see her, you know, struggle with, you know, the saw breaks. And then she gets the turkey cutter. And then, you know, she's trying to stuff everything into a garbage bag. And the garbage bag rips. And so she's like, oh, okay, what do I do? And then, you know, how quickly she comes up with the solution of, you know, the, the Tupperware and <laughs> putting the pieces in the, each piece of Tupperware she has. And I, I just, I, I love that, that part so much. <laughs> I love when, you know, when, like, for characters, when things, you know, don't go flawlessly for them, where they, you see them, you know, really have to put in the effort to get from, you know, their their point A to point B, and I I just love how it's how it plays out, and it's you know so beautifully done, and then and then how it just you know she gets she puts everything in her car, and then suddenly it's you know, hi dear, sorry I'm late, like it's just totally back to normal, nothing happened. She didn't slice up a body and put it in Tupperware. Like, what? She was somewhere else, you know? Um, yeah. So, yeah, that that's those two are definitely my, my favorite segments. Awesome. Um, I like, I think it's in Chapter 4 of Volume 2, where she's in the, essentially like a burlesque club. Mm-hmm. The dancer. I love how I love the look and feel of that one. Mm-hmm. I also love I think it's a chapter three. This is like little montage or splash pages of her and Irving taking out all these people. Yeah. I like how she's just so happy with a dress up with a meat cleaver, got that big old smile on her face and yeah. making tea next to him. And then the next pages is her dolling herself up while Irving cleans up and you see in the background like taking woman out with a croquet mallet or whatever <laughs> to see her so happy and doing this kind of stuff this is it's so damn hilarious in my in my twisted mind I find it quite hilarious it, it, um, it is. <laughs> and I'm a big like I've said numerous times before when it comes to comics I'm such a huge art person to draw me into a story and this is a, one of those stories, much like Batman Noel, where the artwork is so damn good and the story is so damn good, it just keeps you locked in the whole time. Like, not to throw a shade, for example, for Tim Sale, I love to read uh, the Batman Long Halloween, but I, I'm not a huge fan of Tim Sale's artwork. Mm. But like when I read something like Joel, uh, like this, or even other stuff that uh joel jones has worked on specifically like you have killed me which is like a good 40s noir murder mystery type book or um madam frankenstein which also takes place in like a 20s 30s 40s time frame it's just so damn good and it keeps me pulled in the whole time um mm-hmm. i just love i just love the artwork so much so i just want to like, like every page i could hang on my wall right now Mm-hmm. I I agree. I one of one of the big things for me when you know reading a, a graphic novel is definitely the art. Like that's that's the one thing that is gonna keep me like 
reading the story. And I mean, obviously, like the story, the writing has to be there, of course, but it's definitely the art. Like it's just, and especially, you know, in, in both volumes, like it's just so like it, it goes like really, really bold and colorful to dark and kind of grungy. And it's just, and, and just the, you know, the, the contrast of it and, you know, yeah, it's, it's just so good. And it, it definitely, like, there's just so much to look at, you know, your, your details and, you know, you, you just, you know, I definitely don't, I mean, I guess it's, you know, we say it's a quick read, but I still take time and look at everything. Like, it's just, there's so much to see in, in each page and it's just so freaking amazing. And, and I'm really, you know, I hadn't known of, of Joelle Jones until this and I'm definitely in love with her art. Like, it's just so good. And, um, yeah. Uh, that that's one of the things I really love about this too is just is the artwork is just so good and um, yeah it, it checks all the boxes off for me like it's <laughs> art's so good and story's good and it's just yeah it's flawless <laughs> and the the artwork stays consistent the whole time too um, because it it has the very muted colors much like the first one does. And I would say it was like they're very warm colors. They're very muted and warm. Um, so it's very fitting. But then when you get to some of those parts, like when she's in the uh, burlesque club taking out the dancer, yeah. or when you get the, the the final showdown at the house with all the Christmas lights and everything, it's it's got some of that brightness to it too, but it still maintains that muted stuff. So I think that the fact that it has it takes place at Christmas time and well Christmas time in Florida, um, so the brights do pay off there. But I still love how the muted stuff t- uh, still stays intact. Mm-hmm. It definitely no, it it really just like the whole um it, it really has such a uh, consistent tone to it. And in any moment, it just that the like, you know, it darker, you know, scenes like darker colors, everything. It's you know that more intense scene, and then if it's a, not so much, it's a more light, back to those you know muted colors and everything like that, while still making it sort of light and you know, um, you know, sort of not not lighthearted, but just it, it's light, it's happy, it's you know, and then it goes into, you know, that intensity of, you know, the, the darkness and things while still having that little bit of color. And it just, yeah, it, it works so well. And I think volume two has a lot of stuff that will help carry over to a movie because it has a little bit of Josie's origin in it. Mm-hmm. So essentially her mom was in the same line of work as she was. So we don't need to have like the first half of a film being dedicated to Josie growing up. Yeah. We're going to have her have that flashback of when times are tough for her. She remembers what her mama told her. We don't need to have this whole thing. Well, how did I become the, how did I be? We don't have to have a Batman begins. No. For 
for Joseph. We can just jump right in. Okay, I'm a housewife and I kill people on the side. Like, mm-hmm. Pretty cut and dry. We don't need a long, drawn-out origin story. No. Yeah, I, it, it definitely, you know, when they... they you know, hopefully, like, when they bring this into the film, um, that, you know, it, it definitely doesn't need to be a, you know, a long, drawn-out backstory of, of Josie. Because you really get to know her pretty quickly in the, in within these two volumes, especially volume two, where you see a little bit of her childhood and where her mother came from. And so, you know, it's, it's definitely, you know, I, I like the pacing of it, where... You get to know her, you know who she is, and then, you know, once you kind of, once you know that, you can move on with the story and, you know, get down to business of what she does. And, um, yeah, so it definitely, yeah, it doesn't need to be a, you know, anything, it can be, you know, as brief as you like and you'll get to know her pretty quickly. I mean, even without, you know, you, you don't really get much of that in sort of the first volume. Like, you know what she does. And you go with the story. So it's like the second volume dives a little bit deeper into that. So that's basically all you need for this character. And um, which is which is kind of cool. You just you really get to know her and you're on to the rest of it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, like we said, we did broad strokes. We jumped over a lot of stuff. And it's mostly because we didn't want to spoil this awesome book for anybody who would want to read it. And it comes highly recommended by both Melissa and I. And we honestly can't wait for the film. And we can't wait for Volume 3 whenever it comes out. Um, Is there any favorite disguises of Josie's that you like more than others? I definitely like, um, like, in... You know, I, I like in the you know the first one, like, she's the Avon lady. She's very innocent. She's kind of bubbly. She's, you know, oh, let's talk about makeup. And, and have you thought about your beauty lately? Are you taking care of yourself? All this bubbly stuff. And I, I love that because that's not, it's not her at all. Like, it's she plays that so well as this just, this is, you know, she's selling makeup. She's doing all this. And, and then she... You know, does the savage kill? <laughs> you know, I really like when her her look when she's at the kitty cat bar because she she looks so freaking good, and she's also like, you know, how she's dressed. Um, it's just such a good look on her. But then, you know, she's sort of. You know, it's also like a bit of like a vulnerable look for her, but you know, then she, you know, does what she does while dressed like that. <laughs> you know, like I just, you know, and it's just it's a really great look on her. And you know, I love to, um, you know, how like her, her even like her like the apron and the pink dress look. How it's just that's her housewife look and you know she she's playing that you know the the doting mother the one who cooks cleans everything and just and but still looks really good um so yeah th- i'd say th- those are my those are my favorites 
Well, I take mine back to I love her in the uh, burlesque house. I love that black sequin dress she's wearing in that one. I just love the style. I just love how she looks. Josie looks good in every panel she's in, whether she's covered in blood or whether she's or whether she's making dinner for Jean and the girls. She looks good in everything. But I, I do love her when she's in the uh, the club with that black sequin dress. Um I also like her when she's meeting Mr. Holly in the uh, department store for Christmas. That little plaid number she has on looks really good. Mm -hmm. Is there anything else we wanted to mention before we moved on to our last uh, segment? It's it's a great story. (laughs) I I would highly recommend it. Yep. It's solid. It's it's a definitely, um, you know, it's yeah, it's a solid story. It, you've got great characters who, you know, are all pretty strong in their own right. They all hold their own, and um, but nobody like Josie does. Like she really, definitely holds her own throughout. Um, but it's it's definitely worth a read. Absolutely. I agree, and uh, I also recommend anything else that Joelle Jones has put her artwork all over. Um, I've mentioned Madame Frankenstein. I've mentioned You Have Killed Me. Um, I, I don't know if she's still working on Catwoman or not, because I know she was working on Catwoman for DC for a I while. Think she, I think she is, yeah. I know it started right at a time, about three years ago, right on time of uh, Batman and Catwoman getting married. I know she was working on Catwoman then. Um because I kind of fell behind on that title. But um, yeah, anything you can find with Joel Jones' artwork in it, you are not going to be disappointed. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Lady Killer, go out and find it. There's only two volumes available right now. So, hopefully, with, with what Joel's been teasing, hopefully, we get a volume three here soon. Mm-hmm. So, now that we've covered, we've talked about the news of the film and we talked to the, gave a brief overview of the books. Uh, we were originally going to fan cast who we'd like to see alongside Blake live in the film, but then I had a brilliant idea sarcastically. No. Like, you know what? This, this takes place. This takes place in the sixties. How about we cast this film? If it was like made in the sixties. So we picked a handful of characters to go off of, and we're going to name, do our usual fan casting for them. Which I, I thought, you know, Jared said, oh, sarcastically. I I thought it was an absolutely brilliant idea. I really liked it. I thought um, it, it wasn't the usual, like, what we would have done with, you know, the, the you know newer actors and things like that. It's definitely, you know, I think it deserves that. Because, like, this story is so unique, so it needs a unique take on a fan cast. So, and it would be kind of interesting to see this story in that time period um (laughs) it would it would be pretty cool i think and and definitely you know um definitely not what you would normally see in that time period definitely for films so yeah i i really like this idea a lot i thought it was um it was it was a challenge in itself but still a lot of fun so definitely a brilliant idea and don't shoot yourself down, mister. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, 
I thought we'd start with some of the small supporting characters and work our way up to Josie, have Josie be the main event. <sighs> so how about we start with a uh, person we meet in volume two, that'd be Mr. Holly. So who did you cast as Mr. Holly? This one, it, I was sort of going off sort of like his, his like personality and sort of his, his look. Um, I picked, uh, now I was going to be kind of funny, but I decided, no, I wasn't going to be. <laughs> um, anyway, I chose uh, Gregory Peck as Mr. Hawley. Because I think he could, like Mr. Hawley, like he's he's the, the deal maker. He's a little bit, you know, sort of, um, you know, a little bit just, straight lace sort of whatever but he still has that sort of sense of like you know he's got that that wall built up but you don't really know him and i think gregory peck could pull that off like i just i could see him being that that character that guy who could you know the decision maker the you know making the deals and things and you know having that that yeah i i think he could he could do a good job with that character i went with him Greg Gregory Peck was on was on my short list for like two different characters, but yeah. he ended up not making he ended up not making my list. Um, Interesting. It's about the time he would did he did To Kill a Mockingbird about the time we aimed because we aimed for about what sixty two yeah ish nineteen sixty two ish. So yeah, he was doing To Kill a Mockingbird at that time, and he was about in his thirties at that point. Yeah, so that's a good choice. Um, yeah, uh, I'll I'll talk about Gregory Peck later uh, because I had him shortlisted on a couple of characters, but I actually went with uh, Donald Sutherland. Ooh, interesting. I kind of eyed up Donald Sutherland too. I was thinking about him, but I don't know Gregory Peck really. I don't know. Just kind of. Well, 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 he almost went. He almost Gregory Peck almost made Peck for me. I, I was that was too to... obvious. Because that's too obvious, yeah. and that the fact that he, he's almost kind of modeled after Gregory Peck a little bit too. Yeah, a little bit, not too much, but um, yeah. I guess I saw Gregory Peck when I was reading Volume One. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I went with Donald Sutherland because I saw Mr. Holly. Like you said, he's very much the businessman, the deal maker, but he and he he's got like a teeny bit of charisma, like just not a yeah. not. He like oh, he they meet he meets Josie in a bingo hall and meets her at a, like a toy section of a department store. He's kind of a little coy with her, but he's like not a huge flirt like Peck was. He wasn't a pig like Peck was, but um, yeah. Or being like a '60s Don Draper madman businessman, how those guys were back then before all that they weren't kept in check back then. But um, how Holly? I don't see him like overly charismatic or anything but i seem very business straight lace and this is like at a time where like it was like a decade before donald southern would do like invasion of the body snatchers or animal house or anything it showed he can still have that kind of style though it's uh, even a few years before he did kelly's heroes so uh yeah, I thought something Don Southern could pull off, I think. Young Don Southern, because he would have been like in his early 30s at this point, in the 60s. Yeah, I could I could definitely see see that too. That would work. 
Yeah. I like that. Uh, I like yours, too. I figured Gregor Peck would make somebody's list eventually. <laughs> um, so let's move on to another one-off character, and that'd be from Volume 1. That'd be uh, Josie's, or Josie's boss, Mr. Stenholm. So who'd you pick for Mr. Stenholm? Um, I went with Henry Fonda. Um, basically it was sort of like, I, I kind of, I know him from like Henry Fonda from a few films and, but then it also was like his age. So he would have been like 56 at the time. I actually wrote down the ages too. Um, so I think that's kind of where Mr. Stenholm sort of is. Like he's sort of that, like sort of late fifties getting into sixties. So that's kind of where I was going with, with that one. And I think, um, you know, Henry Fonda, he can be, like, a more kind of serious actor. And I think he could pull the character off where he's, you know, a solid person and also stern. And so, yeah, I kind of saw that. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's what I went with. And who, who was your pick for, for that character? Well... This is one of the characters I actually had like a couple different in mind. I actually oh, yeah. typed it out and erased it several times before I came up with one. Uh, my just real quick, my short list was Vincent Price, Ooh. Uh, Peter Cushing, and local uh, local Iowan John Wayne. Um, but I end up deciding with uh, I want somebody a little more gruff, mm-hmm. so I settled on Lon Chaney Jr. Yes. Oh, who would have been like who would have been like his early sixties at this yeah. point? Like late fifties, early sixties. And I just picked I I pictured his booming when I read when I read Stenholm, I like I I just imagine like a gruff, deep voice. Yeah. And I just thought Lon Chaney Jr. Yes. That's yeah. I was th- trying to like that that's what made this kind of tricky was like I trying to go off sort of the look of the character and and yeah I I that he he is that little he's older he's gruff he's a little bit set in his ways he's yeah I think that that would be a solid choice. He's an old hard ass. Yeah, very much. Yeah. So those are good picks right there. I should probably be writing yours down so I can read it back. So you had your banks talk to Melissa while daddy writes this down. (laughs) (laughs) Um. You talk to her, she'll talk back. (laughs) So you had Gregory Peck. Yep. Then they had Henry Fonda. Yeah. Yeah, he crossed my mind at one point, but I kind of I I really try to um really go for for actors and actresses that you know 
weren't necessarily like that I knew, so I could kind of speak on on their, you know, performances and things. Um, but also, you know, maybe not the most well known. I mean, I think I kind of, you know, the, it, <laughs> sort of a fine line, whatever. But um, yeah, I did I did try with that. So I think Henry Fonda sort of did more unique choice of mine but um yeah that's a that's that's a good pick so uh who did you pick for peck uh josie's uh former colleague well this guy he was he was a bit of a challenge because i was thinking like okay he's kind of he's flirty he's got a cheekiness about him he's oozes charisma like he he just has that sort of smooth talking way. Um, so I, I went with uh, Paul Newman. Hmm. I didn't think about that. I did not think about Paul Newman at all. Because I think he could he could be that that cheeky guy, and I mean, like he at that time, I mean, he was sort of like I think he would have been like around. Uh, what did I write? 38. So still young, but still, you know. Um, but I feel like he he could pull that off. That kind of cheeky character, but still a little bit like the flirty. And, I mean, the man's charismatic as hell. So you got that going for him. <laughs> and so I just, I think he could he, he could pull that off very well. So I, that's who I picked. Nice. I didn't really put the humor too much into my pick. Um, I did put somebody who has like a little bit of a drier humor mm. that could pull off some of the stuff that Peck says when he's being kind of a typical 60s male, I guess you could say. Um, <laughs> early 60s male. Um, but I want somebody, when it comes down to end of volume one, when he has to fight with Ruby and Josie, that somebody could be that badass. And um, I went with Clint Eastwood. Yeah, I can see it. Yeah. Like Clint Eastwood, he can have that some of that dry wit. Yeah. Like, well, still be that, like, straight-faced, serious person. Yeah. It's like it's like they say on The Simpsons and itching and scratching with a dry, cool wit like that. I could be an action hero. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Clint Eastwood to me. He's got a dry, cool wit about him. Definitely. So, moving on. Who is your pick for Irving Reinhardt? Now, this one was a challenge because I was trying to kind of go for like somebody who, um, you know, would have been like older at that time, like in that, that sixties, you know, so it was, it was a really, um, really tough choice. And I went with an actor based kind of went looking on sort of his, his filmography and things and the variety of films and, sort of genres that he did and someone that I'm not familiar with uh, <laughs> but I think his his look sort of matches that of of Irving so I think he could he could do it 
Um, and this was an actor called or named Walter Pigeon. I'm sure if I saw a picture or saw yeah. her, if you saw some stuff he was in, I would probably know the name. Yeah, I think he he was in what was he in? Hold on. Um, let's see. Um, he was in in films like um, Mrs. Miniver, uh, Forbidden Planet. Um, uh, voyage to the bottom of the sea, uh, things like that. So sort of, um, kind of a mix. So it sounds like he did a lot of lot, a lot of B movies. Yeah, and that's not um not really where we'd place this, but it kind of would be a little bit where it's like a little. There's more action things. There's stuff happening. So I think he would sort of fit into that sort of environment as an actor. And him being older, I think he would sort of fit that that character. So, yeah. So who is who is your pick for this character? Well, uh, Pat, uh, Irving was another one. I had a couple of names in mind for. Uh, I first looked at uh, elder comedian Sid Caesar. Who was big at the, in the fifties? Yeah. Um, I, also, I also looked at Abe Vigoda and yeah. uh, Donald and Donald Pleasance, who went on to play Loomis about a decade later. Yeah. But uh, I end up settling on somebody who's a little older, mm-hmm. and I settled on James Cagney, who was yeah. mostly known for being in gangster films back in the forties. Yeah. 40s and 50s. I kind of looked at him too. I was thinking, like, for, like, like maybe, like, um, like, maybe, like, Mr. Holly or Peck or something, like, some, sort of like that, um, but, yeah, for, for him, yeah. Yeah, like, originally, Dream, Pipe Dream was, uh, I thought Bella Lugosi would be good, but he passed on in 1956 at this point, so Bella was no longer with us at the time that we were aiming for. So, mm-hmm. um, yes, yeah, so I went with James Cagney. I'm, I'm not, I know James Cagney by name, but I'm not as familiar with his work, but I could probably find some of his films on YouTube. I know he's a big gangster film guy from the forties. I know, um, Robert England based his performance, of, part of his performance of Freddie based on Cagney's, uh, stance, I believe it was how he did the one arm down a little bit harder. So he, some of Freddie's posture came from James Cagney. Yeah. That's a definitely a solid choice. I like that one. And, and he was a little bit older at the time, too. So, like, he was in his 60s, like, mid-early 60s at this time. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where... That's that's funny that you kind of went for, the, for that age group as well, or age range. Because um, I, I went with that as well. So, like, the, the actor that I picked, he was 64. So that's kind of where I was going, like with Irving. Like he was sort of close to his seventies, but not, you know, quite there yet. Yeah. So that's yeah, that's funny that we sort of yeah. gauge that same. I once we nailed down a time frame that this story essentially takes place in, and the fact mm-hmm. that we have a reference that Mother Schuler and Irving uh, had a previous encounter during World War II, mm-hmm. it kind of made it a little bit easier to 
pin something on there. So I go, okay, we're about 15, 20 years removed from World War II. So they wouldn't be, I'd say they'd be 70 at most. Like they look like they're drawn older, but they take, yeah. do the math in your mind. Like, okay, maybe they'd be about in their mid 60s. So, and you can always, you can always get somebody like that age, like it's 60 and that age up to play 65, you know? So, mm. But I thought, yeah, my pick was James Cagney. Nice. Good choice. Now, a difficult one for me uh, was the twin daughters, Jane and Jessica Schuler. So who was your pick or picks for Jane and Jessica Schuler? Yeah, this one this one was definitely tough. It <laughs> it it took um it took a it took a lot of uh, digging, and I was sort of going for kind of how they look. They're sort of like that five six year old sort of range, like nothing older than that. Um, so I found a lot of, of ones who were like a, who like actresses who would be like eleven, twelve, whatever. And like, no, that's too old. Or nine, uh, maybe, but no, it just seemed too old. So like at least you're like five six year old range. Um, so after, um, lots and lots of digging, (laughs) um, for, uh, Jessica Schuler, I picked Lisa Loring. (laughs) (laughs) I, I just was like, I think she, she would be, I don't know. I just kind of a, a good choice uh, <laughs> and it was sort of around that time where she was like you know doing the role she was and pretty well a very young age she starting out and uh so i kind of had her like at the time she would have been um four four five years old so sort of in around the age range i was going for um so yeah, I went for that, and I just think that she would be she's a good fit for that. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, for Jane, um, I picked an actress, Maureen McCormick. Yep, Marsha Brady. Mm-hmm. And at the time, she was uh, she would have been six years old. So again, sort of around the same age range. So. I did not even think about that at all from Marine McCormick. Huh. So those were my picks. <laughs> what well, who were your picks for, for the two daughters? Well, if my laugh didn't give it away. Uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> but here I did some I did some extra research. Oh. So I I saw Jane and Jessica's about four or five in the first book or in the first volume. So I went with four and I only picked one actress to play them both. I picked Lisa Loring to play them both because the reason why I did that was because Haley Mills's version of the parent trap came out in 1961 and she was one actor, actress playing two different girls. So I'm like, you know what? It's the same time. Why can't we get little Wednesday Adams to uh, 
play Jane and Jessica Schuler. Love it. I, yeah, I like that. I use the <laughs> Haley Mill. I use the Haley Mills defense. <laughs> and I know right now Michael Lyons. I know Michael Lyons and Guy Milks are proud of me for name dropping Haley Mills' parent trap. <laughs> In a episode about a bloody comic book called Lady Killer. <laughs> Check that off the bucket list. <laughs> yeah, I like that. And I, I once again we're picking the same people. <laughs> oh, this far in the list, we did it once. Like, yep, yeah, that's a good pull to pick Marie McCormick, uh, Marsha Brady. Like, hmm. I didn't even think about the Brady kids at all. Yeah, it was I, it was something I was like, oh, okay, who do I get? Like, was, I had a few choices, and I was like, no, that's not going to work. That's not going to work. And then I saw her, and I'm like, yes. Like, I don't know, just how she looked as a, as a kid sort of matched her, like, the character look in the book. And it's like, yeah, I could see it. Her. That's who I'm picking. It just, I don't know, it just really worked for me. So, yeah. Yeah, had I, th- had I thought about that, I would just pick Marie McCormick for my two. For my <laughs> to do my Haley Mills magic on, but yeah, I like that. That's a good pull. Bravo. Thank you. <laughs> so, who did you pick for Jean's mother, Mother Schuler? Uh, I picked Ethel Griffies. Ethel Griffies. I yeah. cannot say I've heard that she name. She was in. Let's hold. Hold on a second. I'm going to. I have it here. She, um, she was in Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds. Um, that was kind was of. She uh, was she the mother in that one? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Not, okay. Now I know who you're talking about. Yeah. 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 That was kind of her most um, most well known. Uh, role, but then she's in a, like, a wide variety of stuff. Um, she was in, even in, like, a uh, Laurel and Hardy film, and, yeah, just, um, yeah, just a wide variety of stuff, and I just felt like, you know, she would be, she'd be good fit, and then, like, I kind of, um, I mean, as an actress, she would have been, I mean, she was still acting, even, and she was, in her 80s like she was 83 and this is kind of where i was sort of placing the mother um so that's kind of how she looked like again it was sort of the looks for me like how she looked in the book and i kind of put her sort of as that um i mean you can even age her like you know the actress herself may have been 83 but you could put her as you know draw thing draw it back a little bit like you know it's not really something that has to be set in stone for you know, matching her age. Um, but yeah, that's kind of, that's who I picked. Cause I thought, you know what? She could, um, I think she could do a really good job with that. So, um, yeah, that, that was my pick. Nice. Like, yeah, until you mentioned the birds, I'm like, who? Yeah. Okay. I know. I know exactly what you're talking about. You say the mother from the birds. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a good pick. That's a good pick. So who was who was your pick for for this character? Well, well, I try to keep my mother uh, Schuler around the same age as uh, my Irving, 
Mm. I, my actress I picked was about 58. And I, again, I used World War II as my timestamp here. So yeah. we're all about 15, 20 years removed from World War II. So I went with uh, Joanne Crawford. Okay. Or Joan Crawford. According to IMDb, she preferred to be called Joanne Crawford, but it was Joan Crawford from uh, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. Oh, okay. yeah. And she's most known for being depicted as uh, Mommy Dearest. No more wire hangers. But yeah, she would have been about 58 uh, in the 62. So like, like, that's a good age. I'm like, yeah, if she's a. Maybe she's in like late 60s, you could age her up a little bit, you know, makeup and stuff. Yeah. I was thinking about Faye Ray, too, from the original King Kong film, but like, uh, didn't quite have the look, but I thought Joanne Crawford really did have that classic beauty look. Like, like Mother Schuler looks, looks, looks like somebody who would have been like a knockout in her day, you know? Mm-hmm. So, Joanne Crawford definitely had that look, too, about her. And she's much younger, very beautiful. Not that she, not saying she didn't age gracefully, but you know, you know what I'm talking about before I paint yeah. myself into a. A bigger corner here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, she she has that 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 beauty about her, but she could, you know, like you said, like with a bit of makeup and everything, you could age her and make her into that character. Definitely, we're not we're not calling her ugly. We're not doing that. It's yeah, you could you could age her her up and you know really make her up to be that that older woman that you know who she is in the story. So. Yeah, I like that. Good choice. Thank you. So, uh, moving on, who did you pick for Jean Schuler? For Jean, this was this was a tough choice. I almost, um, I almost actually put Paul Newman in that spot, but I felt more he would be more suited for Peck. Is just the cheekiness, charisma. I don't just suited he he suited that that more for me so um a little bit more digging later uh i picked larry hagman larry hagman yeah he was in um uh i dream of genie okay so he's sort of like he, he plays that sort of naive kind of character and that's sort of who Gene is. Like he's he he doesn't really know what's going on with with Josie, especially at first. Um, he just living the life, you know. He goes to work, he does the you know brings in the money, whatever. And this is just who he is. You know, he takes you know is the father of children, and and I just felt like Larry Hagman could bring that character to life. Like he could that he's. Like Gene's a little bit more lighthearted and things like that, and I felt like he could he could do that character, kind of kind of like the character he he did or portrayed in in like I Dream of Genie. So that's kind of where I was going with that one. Nice. Yeah. Who was your pick? Well, Gene uh, was another one I had a couple different names for in my head. Uh, Gregory Peck being one of them. Hmm. Uh, another one, kind of a wild card, was a uh, Gene Wilder. Yeah, but I ended up settling on Anthony Perkins, so it's my turn to play an Alfred Hitchcock card, and I went with Anthony Perkins, Norman Bates. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, and I, I we'll, we'll get to hear we'll get to it here shortly with who I picked for Joe's because I thought he had like the perfect 
that make that that photo perfect cut, like that picture perfect couple that when you read Josie and Jean the books, you see them in there like that. So cute, it makes you want to puke. You know, uh, <laughs> yeah. um, I thought Anthony Perkins would be perfect for that. Um, yeah. I loved his performance as Norman Bates, and you'd have him play. And you get the volume two, and he's stressed out with his job. He's being interrogated yeah. by the cops when his boss goes missing. Yeah, uh, still playing a doting husband. I thought Anthony Perkins was a great choice. Yeah, solid choice. I like that. He could, yeah. See, yeah, I kind of eyed him up too. Like I, I was sort of looking at him. I'm like, yeah, I could, I could see it. But then I could, I, I don't know. Larry Hagman sort of put the put the nail on the head for for my choice. So um, nailed it down for me. So yeah, but awesome choice. I like that. Thank you. Now it's time for the main event. So who did you cast as your lead as Josie Schuler? Now this was this was quite the quite the decision because I just I mean she's like she's gotta be, you know, like the character herself, she's strong, she's independent, she's freaking gorgeous. <laughs> um, but she's also a badass. Um like just, you know, all around just really amazing character. And um, I went through quite a few different, um, different actresses for this one. Um, it was really hard to choose. Um, but at the end of the day, um, after everything, <laughs> um, I went with Lauren Bacall. Hmm. I felt didn't even like, cross my mind. Yeah, I felt like she had, like the like, sort of had that same sort of look as as Josie, um, sort of in like facial features, hairstyle, sort of things like that, like just from pictures of her, um, and I felt like she could play that, you know, the the housewife, but then also kind of turn it around and and you know be the badass that she is so and look freaking gorgeous doing it so that was my pick nice i like it lauren bacall i think that for her name first came on my radar i think it was from a looney tunes short from back in the day like i can't remember the setup but i just remember one cartoon of Porky Pig saying Lauren Bacall. <laughs> I can't remember what the setup was. I think it was a Daffy and Porky cartoon. Yeah. <laughs> I remember Lauren, Lauren Bacall being name dropped by Porky Pig. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah. So who is, who is, um, your pick for the the lead. Um, I actually took inspiration for mine from some of the artwork in the book um, with Josie in the burlesque club or in the cover of volume two where she's in the black dress and the white gloves. Mm-hmm. And looking at that artwork, I was instantly inspired and I went with Audrey Hepburn. Yes. Yes, absolute. That is solid AF choice. Like you think of strong independent women back in the sixties. Yeah. 
Audrey Hepburn, and she was the thing back then. And absolutely, I'd I'd love to see her do all this bloody violent stuff, and then <laughs> and to do the the and to be the the double. I think she could do the double life so great. It's I, amazing. I know my I know my friend Lana is probably not listening, but she is. Her ears are tingling because I just name dropped Audrey Hepburn. <laughs> I know she's proud. Um, I also thought like. Don Wells from Gilligan's Island, Marianne from Gilligan's Island. Hmm. I was Team Marianne. I was more of a Marianne guy, um, <laughs> because she's. We saw her as like the she could, the way she was on the island. She could pull off like the dutiful wife side, and I think it'd be kind of funny to see her do the bloody violent stuff. But yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely, I think my number one choice was always Audrey Hepburn. Hmm. No ifs, no buts, no coconuts. <laughs> I almost, and I think it's just like from, you know, like, because I've been recently like going back and, and rewatching, you know, the classic James Bond films, um, starting with like, you know, your classic Sean Connery movies. Um, and, you know, I almost thought of, um, and I think she, was she in, was it Dr. No? I think yes. Um, I almost thought of, of Ursula Andress. She she mm. was kind of on my radar, but then I was like, mm, I don't know. But then I Ursula Andress. <laughs> but then I thought, you know what? No, um, Lauren Bacall. I think she she fit the fit the bill much better. Yeah. I'm I like my choice, and I I really love yours. I think that could be, yeah, she could do it, definitely. I think you have a you have a very solid cast too, and I think we only matched once, and that was on the twins. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of great like oh, well, people who know us like oh, not surprised they picked somebody from the Adams family because I, I was thinking like Carolyn Jones at one point too for Josie, but yeah. like Audrey Hep Audrey Hepburn all day. Yep, thousand <laughs> percent. Maybe if we, maybe if, maybe if we're throwing Ruby in the mix, like yeah, Carolyn Jones could have been Ruby. Yeah. Yeah, but, but Ruby's in and out like that in the book. So yeah, she's a, she's a very quick character. So you can you can kind of have anybody in that that sort of role because she is very much just a quick character. But yeah, I I love our um our choices a lot, and I love how different they are, except for obviously the one choice. But <laughs> I think we were we were bound to have a match at some point because we always do. Um, but yeah, I, I think we each have very solid choices and, um, pretty, I feel like a pretty stacked cast for each of us, um, for, for actors and actresses. And, um, I want to see this movie now. (laughs) 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 I wish this could be a thing with everybody. Like, wow. (laughs) But yeah. So Netflix, if you're listening, get a time machine. Go back to 1962. Invent streaming. <laughs> invent the internet. <laughs> and make this film with one of this, some of these cast members, or mix and match. Yeah, definitely. You can at least, you can at least take Audrey Hepburn and Lon Chaney Jr. off my list, and you can mm-hmm. pick and choose off the lists. Yeah, absolutely. 
but yeah, this this was a definitely a, a challenge, but it was, it was a lot of fun to to create um, create a, a cast, and um, I, I like our our approach to it. So um, yeah, it seems like it'd be a little more fun and more challenging just to do a standard fan cast because yeah, so we're doing a modern stars for this one like i was gonna set the barricade like oh you can't pick anybody that's ever been in a comic book film and i was like oh and then, look, everybody's been everybody's been in one by now yeah and you know <laughs> i i was kind of sad i, I was kind of glad we kind of went a different route because um i I had a few choices. Like, I know Josie was already cast, so I couldn't obviously pick her, so it was basically everybody else. Um, but I had so many choices for Josie. Like, I just... Oh, I had so much. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, then it was, like, the challenge of, okay, who, you know, who else... Like, who hasn't been in a, you know, comic book film and things like that. So this was, you know, as much of a challenge as it was for, for some of the characters, it was still... It was easy... Because, you know, obviously they, you know, haven't been in, like, comic book stuff. So it's like, okay, we can just, you know, pick, choose who we like. And, um, but, yeah, a lot of fun. I really, really yeah. enjoyed this. And if, you, and if we kept the cast modern, you really have to, like, really sit and think. Because, okay, mm-hmm. it's a comic book property, but at the same time, it's still Netflix. So they're not going to get a lot of huge names. So you have to, like, keep it... Re- you have to like, keep it within the realm of possibility. Yeah. Who Netflix could wrangle in to do this? Like, yeah, they could. They're gonna get like Netflix can get some big names to do it. Like they got Batista to do Army of the Dead with Zack Snyder. Is that that cast? That's got a huge cast in it. So oh, yeah. not saying Netflix can't draw in a lot of huge names, but at the same time, it's like okay, what's realistic? What could Netflix realistically do with this? So mm-hmm. that, I think it would have made that much much more stressful. I think. Yeah we would have been a little bit more limited um, just because it's, I feel like a lot of the newer Netflix stuff, like series and things, they get a lot of those sort of under the radar actors and performers. So yeah, we, I think we would have been a little bit more limited on that. And then also trying to find, you know, somebody who hasn't been in a (laughs) comic book film. So yeah, I I like this choice because it's, like I said, it's it's a lot easier and kind of gave you, you know, a little bit more freedom in who you wanted to pick and who you felt would be the best choice for each character. And so, yeah. Um, yeah, I think it was definitely a good a good approach to take. I can get creative once in a while. Well, I have a good idea. The last good idea I had was three years ago and I was drinking and decided to text you to start a podcast. <laughs> You've had good ideas since then, you. <laughs> Don't even. <laughs> You've had more more better ideas than I have, so just take it and go. <laughs> more better English, much? <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> uh, we, before we go, I think we need to tell the funny story while we're on the topic of the casting. Is that? Uh, Funny story off my well, Melissa and I were texting today uh, when she was telling me she's having trouble with casting. Is she had, well, I wanted I wanted this one actress for 
Oh. Mother Schuler, but she passed away in 1949. I go, let me guess, Maria Ospenzaya. <laughs> I go, yep. I go, that, that's what I was looking at for too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. Like, I figured I, 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 I think from listening to our friends of the show, uh, Robert Nintia show Pods and Monsters, um, talking about their Wolfman episode, I believe they mentioned that. Um, Maria had passed away not within a decade after the Wolfman came out. Yeah. So I think she comes back for Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. I think so. But, um, yeah, so I remember her not passing away too long after that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah, that's funny. Sorry, we both had that in mind. Like, who's who was old back in the 60s? <laughs> Yeah, and it was one of those... The gypsy woman from the Wolfman. It's either... Okay, it's either the gypsy from the Wolfman, Mrs. Howell, (laughs) (laughs) or Auntie M from (laughs) Wizard of Oz. Yeah, so yeah, it it was one of those things where I was, like, trying so desperately to find somebody, and then I saw her, and then I didn't... Didn't even, I mean, at the time, maybe just really not paying attention. It was just like, oh, her, that's it. I'm writing it down. And then the next day, I'm like, wait a minute. Like, I, I knew that fact about her, you know, uh, passing away not long after that. And then I'm like, wait a second. And I went back and I looked at, at you know, birth and death date. And I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had I had some a similar thing with Bella. I knew Bella passed away in the late fifties. Yeah, but I wanted to see how close it was because I because I know like I thought of him for Irving because he had that charm mm-hmm. that Irving does. I'm like this would be good Bella goes, but I'm almost sure he's passed on by then. And sure enough, like that he was, and like I, I already knew that Glenn Fry was already gone by then. I knew uh, Kong Clive was gone by then. So it's like okay, we're really. I don't want to base all of all all Universal actors to all Universal monster films, and yeah. I'm actually shocked one of us didn't actually pick Vincent Price for a final one because like I was leaning on him heavily for Mr. Stenholm for the longest time, and then like I want that gruff performance. Like yeah, it's a good Lon Chaney Jr. role. Mm-hmm. Definitely, he he would have been a perfect fit for that. I think. Definitely. Yeah, none of us even thought of Karloff either. No. What do you think Karloff? Karloff probably would have been like a good Reinhardt. Yeah. Shame on us. <laughs> uh, or Claude, Claude Rains didn't get picked for anything either. No. Oh, well. <laughs> you guys claim to be Universal Monster fans. and you, <laughs> you only, The two of you only picked one. I I had briefly thought of Peter Lorre at first too, but I didn't, I didn't think Peter Lorre was like quite the type for uh, for Irving Reinhardt. No, no. Special hello. Is he doing that voice? Hello, Josie. <laughs> That's me. Hand of the cleanup, Miss Schuler. <laughs> sounds like you're anyway <laughs> sounds like a creep that gets off on that stuff anyway <laughs> yeah 
But yeah, I I really love our choices. They're definitely, you know, unique and different and we both built a pretty stacked cast of characters. So um yeah. Yeah, I agree. Uh I love your choices too. And um I think we can I can speak for the both of us say we're both excited for the upcoming film whenever we get it hopefully sooner rather than later you know how especially comic book films can go into production hell look at the flash has been in production hell for three years and we're finally getting filming starting now yeah this is this isn't going to have like your over-the-top cg um mm. so you're not going to need a huge budget for this um and uh, we both highly recommend Volume 1 and Volume 2 Lady Killer and well, anything that Joelle Jones puts her name on, essentially. Uh, we exactly. recommend. Yeah, if, you want, if you want something that is unique and different and you know not your usual sort of run-of-the-mill story, um, definitely give this a read. It is um, a lot of fun. It definitely keeps you... Um, engage with the story with it being just a solid story and just like the artwork and everything itself just really keeps you going through the the story and um, yeah highly recommend it absolutely so, uh, Melissa where can the listeners keep up with you uh, they can keep up with me on Instagram and now Twitter <laughs> back in a different way um but on instagram you can find me at uh miss melissa n25 on there you can find basically pictures of like different things shenanigans i do so things of nature sometimes a rare elusive as bigfoot selfie of myself uh <laughs> random memes things whatever so want to follow that you can <laughs> um you can also find me again on instagram um if you like art drawings things like that i have a drawing page called scribbles of a wannabe drawer um so you can find that on there um and then also i have now made a twitter account for uh scribbles of a wannabe drawer and what i do with that account is i um i participate in the the last draw-in, and this was something by artist Cody Shivey who started it, that we draw something from um, a movie shown on the last drive-in with Joe Bob Briggs. So whatever movie is being played that evening, we pick something from that film and we draw it. So I've recently taken to participating in that, so that's where I post all my um, drawings that I do as I watch the films. And where can they find you, Jared? Uh, you can keep up with me on Twitter and Instagram at QCA underscore Mista underscore J. Um, mostly right now it's pictures of my cats or pictures of my beard. Um, now that I'm getting the tug of war season, you'll probably see me pictures of me on the rope looking miserable because like when you take pictures of yourself, nobody looks good in pictures of running. Nobody looks good in tug of war pictures either. <laughs> um <laughs> And now that uh, I am, re if some of you remember, I was doing a play before COVID hit last year. So rehearsals have started up for that again. So you probably see me sharing stuff for that too. So yeah, and uh, this fall, 
uh, my friend Mikey and I will be um, starting our YouTube channel, uh, Two Aging Bearded Nerds. Uh, I know I've been teasing it for a while, but with my busy schedule, Mikey and I decided to push it back to the fall. So I have, we have time to work on it and make it pristine and perfect the way we want you guys to see it. And we'll just be looking back at movies that when students do not give a shit about scaring kids. <laughs> I miss those days. <laughs> yeah, those were, those were good days. Good times. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so before we go, plug the social media. Uh, most of where can they find us as a podcast? So as a podcast, um, you can find us on uh, Podbean. That's our main home. Um, you can also find us on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and also um, iHeartRadio. And also, um, if you want to follow us on the social medias, we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, and we're also on Twitter, and it's all at, at United Nations Podcast. So you can simply search that, and you'll instantly find us on those social media platforms. So give us a like and subscribe for all kinds of cool stuff. Um, before we say goodbye, Melissa and I just want to thank everyone as we head into our third year. Uh, we want to thank every listener and follower we have on social media, on Podbean, wherever you find your pod, wherever you get your podcast fix. Uh, we also want to thank every single guest we've had or are about to have on the show because it wouldn't for you guys. We'd still be a little show that'd only get two downloads a, a month if we were lucky. So we want to thank everybody who's been a part of this show, um, whether they've been a guest, whether they've shared our stuff on social media. We love all of you and thank you. And we're going to make our third year just as good, if not better than the last two. So, uh, and um, yeah, and I, and I just, you know, want to say like, you know, thank you for for asking me of all people. I mean, there are probably a million other choices, but um, for you know, asking me this to join this podcast journey with you, Jared, and it's been a really awesome journey so far. And I can't believe that three years has passed already. It really doesn't feel like it. It really, you know, we've we've done a lot of growing since our first episode and you know had many guests and amazing conversations and you know um yeah it's it's been really fun and it it doesn't feel like you know the the time has passed like it's it still feels fresh and new and it keeps getting more fun every episode and i absolutely love doing these episodes with you and um you're amazing so <laughs> thank you for the invite three yeah. <laughs> well it takes two and i couldn't do it without you i couldn't think of anybody i'd rather build an empire with uh we've gone from just being uh you being a you donating money to a paranormal group i was in to now we've built this we've built our name of our own we've built this huge podcasting family in an empire, we jokingly call it an empire. You've become the shy Canadian girl into the podcasting goddess you are now, <laughs> and have become an influence on one of our our number one fan, Victoria. You've become a huge influence on her. 
and now you're moderating your own stuff now in on Twitch. So look what you I'm proud of what you've become and I'm glad I've got to see you evolve much like how we talked in our Justice League episode how you came into your own you've evolved much like Harley does hey speaking of segues (laughs) speaking (laughs) of Harley (laughs) um, we actually Melissa and I have everything planned out for the summer and I apologize now this is all my fault on my end I have an extremely busy schedule. Those who know me know I have an extremely busy summer. But Melissa and I have a full slate of fun stuff coming up this summer planned for you guys. Um, starting with our next episode, uh, being a Birds of Prey commentary with uh, our number one fan, Victoria Syriac. So, and that was at the request of Philip Barker. That was not a request more... Uh, he willed it into existence, much like I willed Victoria's podcast into existence with her daughter. <laughs> uh, he suggested it when last time he was on, and we ran with it. We'll be doing a commentary track on Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. That title is hard enough to say when you're not exhausted and been up since 4.30 this morning. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, thank you. Here's the three years, and we're going to keep going. So remember, guys, it's still scary out there, but us nerds have each other. Always remember to uh, be excellent to each other. And nerd on, dudes. See you next time. The thoughts and opinions expressed by your ambassadors and their guests are theirs and theirs alone. And do not represent the companies they happen to work for. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening, guys.